Hello and welcome back to the Around Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Will Hunt, and joining me this week, like every week, is Donald Harris Jr. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, that's really caught me off guard. Usually I have some idea what's going to be, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm insulted, Will, because I know, obviously, that's in reference to... Yeah, well, it's fan. it's because the sheer amount of fake news and propaganda you were putting out <laughs> in the pre-pod preamble. But anyway, let's move on. And joining him to his immediate left, I think it's good at least, is sports media's number one John Linton correspondent. It's Mr. Mike Breslin. Hello. How are we, chaps? We all all right? I'm good, Will. How's things? I'm all right. Thank you very much. Um... It was a bit of a bit of a weekend on the old uh, football front, wasn't it? I was. We had a, an exciting game up at Anfield, and then that was followed by um, Sheffield versus Chelsea, which of course I watched, and um, we should sort of stopped as soon as it had started. So there you are. <laughs> um, I wonder if you were the only viewer of the eight o'clock kickoff on Sunday no, evening or whatever no. it was. Watched it with my dad. Um, my dad oh, tends. Dad tends. Oh, my dad tends to not watch Chelsea with me, and he got to he got to witness firsthand um, the anger that I hold in my heart for Jorginho. Um, there was a particular moment where Jorginho shirked out a tackle, and it was a nice Sunday evening, and I shouted an obscenity at him <laughs> at the TV, <laughs> and I just turned and looked at my dad's there like, "Come on, come on, sir." <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's talk about the other game, which um. I certainly had more about it. I don't think it was a much, particularly high quality game, but a bit about it. Um, so, Man City sort of laid down a marker, being the defending champions. Liverpool four-one in their own backyard. Um, quickly, lads, zooming all the way out. Not zooming all the way out. Zooming all the way in. Just what was your what was your thought on this one? Just a quick thought. Um, Did you enjoy four. it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a decent enough game. There were certainly more goals than I expected, so I was happy in that regard. Uh, first half was pretty boring. The second half had some goals and a, a Gundogan. Well, I was I was pretty fuming at Gundogan missing the penalty, but then he uh, bagged two for me on fantasy, so that worked out well. That was yeah. my main takeaway. Yeah. Silke, if you will. I, I don't, but there we are. Um... <laughs> I tell you what, that was a horrible penalty, wasn't it? To get bring back a oh God, yeah. I just I was sat there thinking, I'm like, because Gundogan, really good penalty taker. I remember him. Scoring, yeah, he's usually really good. I remember him scoring quite a high pressure one for Dortmund in the Champions League final all those years ago. So when he stepped up, I, I, I was like, I was feeling pretty confident that City had finally found their penalty taker. But City are just woeful from the spot. Absolutely woeful. Of course, we've got Mahrez, who's a wonderful footballer all across the pitch, but not for the penalty spot. And then you've got Aguero, who's a premium misser of penalties, along with Jesus. And I did find it interesting after the game that Pep was like, I might ask Edison to take him, which on behalf of all football fans, please. Please, please do. Please do. Please do. Um, anyway, um, let's start with um, the real big talking point, which is, Allison is probably one of the best keepers in the world. I think we're all agreed on that. Um, someone try and explain to me what happened, because having seen it multiple times, I'm still not quite sure. I think he just panicked. Like it's really weird because when he first started, when he first signed, he had moments like this. Uh, remember a particular failed Cruyff turn that Ayanacho sniffed out for Leicester City, which was quite funny at the time. But he'd been consistently so good on the ball and then he just, all the confidence that he has just disappeared. And I think he just panicked. I think he felt like maybe they were just so under the under pressure that he didn't really think about what he was doing. And he tried to clear it and just didn't even manage that. It was just really strange. I, I don't know what he was doing. It was like out of desperation and panic both times, I felt. There's a couple of things I'd put it down to. One is that... At the moment, his back pass was shocking, actually, for one. Yeah, so a bad back pass definitely doesn't help. That I hadn't actually... That wasn't one of my things. So, to begin with, he's got Fabinho and Henderson sat in front of him, which already is probably making him nervous. 
rather than having Van Dyke and Gomez there. You've got Trent on the right too. I'd be fucking petrified. Yeah, anyone's getting in down the, down the right. So, so you've only got one competent <laughs> defender there. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's not a good start for a keeper. We say how, how a dodgy keeper affects the defenders. I think it's the other way around as well. Alisson will be worrying about what's happening in front of him often. Mm-hmm. Obviously, City's high press means options out the back are limited. But this just this just will happen when you try and play out from the back. And you, keepers, yes, are, are now could probably play in midfield. The two on this pitch probably could play in the centre of the midfield for some prem teams. <laughs> They're that good on the ball. <laughs> certainly but, West Brom. Certainly, <laughs> they'd walk into West Brom. <laughs> but I think that I think Edison went for a phase at. at early doors when he came yeah. in these yeah. sort of things do happen when you try and play out from the back it's a shame that he had two in one game in yeah. the biggest game of their season pretty it, much the the second one looked to me that he just couldn't get his mind right which i, I think we've all we've all been there in our very varied <clears throat> professions around the world and obviously we're not at the high doing our jobs at the high level these guys are doing but i, I think you've always had that thing where you've done something wrong and it, it shakes you for a bit and you just sort of have to like get your mind right in a way and I just think he didn't have his chance to get his mind right um I do want to ask you because um I'm perpetually nervous at the moment whenever I see the ball go from Mendy's feet in the Chelsea goal and I was incredibly nervous whenever Kepa had the ball at his feet and I was a ball of nerves whenever Courtois had the ball at his feet but it is the way it's played now in the modern game is this just do you like it? Do you like goalkeepers playing out of the back? Do you like goalkeepers having this this onus being put on them to be almost an extra player? Um, I like it if they're in a decent enough team. However, when the Blues keeper tries it, I'm screaming. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, if it's a possession team that managed to actually have a lot of the ball, then yeah, it makes total sense. But for example, teams like West Brom and Fulham probably shouldn't be doing it. They already have enough pressure. Don't invite more onto you. Especially when they're more likely to make a mistake than these top, top players. Mm. But certainly for Alisson and Edison, I'd expect it. their teams usually have a lot of the ball and it's essential for them to be a good passing option as much as it is a shot stopper, really. But do you like it? I know I can understand the obvious tactical benefit, but is it something that you, you like? Not not massively. I mean, it can be frustrating to watch teams. Yeah, because now the keeper's almost like a safety net pass. I mean, clearly it wasn't a couple of times yesterday. Um, but usually on the, the like in the grand scheme, it's like a safety pass where if they don't fancy what's in front of them, they can just turn back to the keeper. And I think we've all seen games where sometimes a team will basically not be able to get out of their own half for five minutes and the keeper will have probably more touches than anyone else on that team. So in that regard, it, it definitely can be frustrating. I like it for what it's worth. Why? I just, I just think, well, it's better than punting the ball away. At least you're keeping hold of possession. I suppose, yeah. Does not make you nervous? Yeah, that's, so that's the big what, thing. Like what I say is things like this are going to happen, but you're going to concede more goals when you don't have the ball than when you've got it so yes Alisson gave it away twice in the same game <laughs> not there's you... a Michael Owen quote for you <laughs> not if you're Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea Christ <clears throat> well, that's true Rudiger will slip it past your keeper yeah. um... well, that, is a, that is another prime <laughs> example of miscommunication though and players perhaps forgetting the primary focus of a defender is sometimes to get rid of the ball and just so focus on keeping possession anyway I digress Let's go back to talking about this. I, I think I think the reason I was disappointed by this is because as we sort of get used to pandemic ball and players being tired because of the schedule, you've sort of got to readjust in your head what you're expecting from a game. Now, when I think of Klopp's Liverpool versus Pep City, I'm thinking of like that that 4-3 game at Anfield or the, the 2-1 from a few years ago that City won that was just absolute high quality passing and pressing and everything and I thought City particularly in the first half looked laboured and then I thought Liverpool tired really quickly um Mike did you did you think that 
both teams were just a notch below what you would expect from them in a big game. Yeah, I think I think we've seen that a lot, particularly in the big games this season. Um, City kind of came for a point. Old Trafford, United have done it in a few of the big games. Often they've been <clears throat> massively hyped by the TV companies, which obviously, <laughs> which obviously is their job. They've, yes, they've got to get people to watch the games, um, and then they underdeliver with a nil-nil. At least this game had five goals. But you're right, as far as intensity goes, from minute one to minute ninety, it wasn't the hectic, um, high-pressing sort of styles that you'd usually expect, particularly as you rightly say, about Liverpool tiring in the second half and City just picked them apart, really. Dave, it it was interesting. I don't know what you thought. I thought it was interesting that clearly, like, because all the talk in the studio at half-time was that a point for City away at Liverpool is not a bad result. But it was interesting in the second half that Pep obviously had put the boot up his players and said, look, we're going to push on to Liverpool much higher and we're going to take advantage of this back line. Um, quite brave from Pep, isn't it? Yeah, I, I sort of echo what Mike's saying in regards to these games usually not being what we expect. And it does very much feel like uh, with most of these big games this season, it's more that aim is not to lose rather than to win. Mm. Like They'd rather just take the point uh, than risk pushing for a win and it, it backfires. I mean, yeah, I definitely thought it was brave from Pep, but then... At the same time, I guess Liverpool are off form, mm-hmm. and we're missing players. He, you know, he probably sniffs blood. Really, he's like, "This is this is maybe the easiest chance we'll have to to come to Anfield for a while." Yeah, and really take advantage of them, and that's is, exactly what they did. It is worth mentioning that if there's a bogey ground for City, it's Anfield. Um, yeah. they've really struggled there in recent years. Um, so, hell of a statement win. I think. Let's start with perhaps the wider connotations for City beyond this game. 4-1 away at the defending champions. The team that, although they've had a lot of problems with injury, you would probably say are still the second best team in the division. I know the table doesn't agree with me. Mike, statement victory. Can you look past City now? Nah, City City are the title winners elect, as it were. Uh, already, I think. I think they were before this, and now yeah. you beat Liverpool. That's a, essentially a six-point swing, which is huge. Um, I've obviously said previously that United are not going to catch them. I don't think Leicester will will stay the course, and they're probably the other one that I'd I'd suggest would be in uh, in and around the uh, great podcast, the title title challenge. But I think City are too good. Their squad is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean that. Let's not forget they're they're playing without Aguero, and they didn't even start Jesus. They're playing without a recognised striker in no this game. No De Bruyne. No De Bruyne. No, still no, no De Bruyne, and he's going to be out for another couple of weeks. Laporte can't even get back into this team. Yeah, nah. I was going to mention that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, when you're talking about Jesus, Fernandinho, Laporte, Ferran Torres, Mendy on the on the bench, yeah, plus. De Bruyne is out and Aguero's out. It's hard to it's hard to look past them. Isn't it? Do you do you think that do you think that the, probably the main reason they are going to probably win the title is down to that squad depth, or is it or is it another reason for you? Well, they're obviously they haven't had as many injuries as Liverpool. I know we're going to get onto some of Liverpool's excuses in a bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, being able to rotate in this season of all seasons, mm-hmm. as we've discussed before, is yep. huge. And they're replacing quality with yeah. top-tier quality yeah, every yeah, single yeah. time at pretty much every position. And it's just huge. Obviously, I think they're also um, one of the best, if not the best, coach team in the league. They all, they've all been there a little while, bar Diaz and yeah. Aaron Torres. They all know their roles. They're just in the best position to to... And they are the best team at the moment. Dave, um, talk. You you think about this season? It was quite weird. We had um, we had Henry on the podcast. Obviously, a City fan. Um, uh, quite a while back now, we had him on this mm-hmm. podcast, not the Friday podcast where he convinces you to lose all your money. Um, <laughs> but we had the 
we had him on and we were talking about he was I think it was in the aftermath of the derby we were talking about city yeah. being particularly blunt um and we pointed out the need for a striker there and we pointed out how they were just they didn't seem to they didn't seem to have the same cutting edge sort of all changed now hasn't it yeah I, yeah it's weird it's, it's almost like overnight they went from looking like lacking a finishing uh, touch to basically being the Man City of old that we've seen under Pat pretty much the whole time. Um, don't, I don't really know any particular reason for it. Maybe players have just come into form at the same time, like obviously Gundogan, who Mike's already touched on. Um, maybe it was just getting used to playing. I know he was having to rotate his defence a lot at the start. Maybe it was just basically getting like a solid spine for the team that was going to be the same every week. And now they have that. Um, maybe they're just more settled. But yeah, I mean, it is weird because I remember when Henry was on, I'm I'm pretty sure he was saying Man City could win the league. And I'm pretty sure we were like, oh, not, not sure that's going to that. be the case. I, I asked him if he wanted Pep, if he had wanted Pep to sign a new deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and well, and now here we are, and the they're by far the best team in the league. I think what we can guarantee is that if he predicted City would win the league, they won't win the league. Um, <laughs> I do, I do just want to talking about a coaching job for Pep. I think if you were to go back and listen to the old um, versions of this podcast, this particular one in particular, I'm thinking about where a lot of our discussion was raised around the idea that with the injury to Laporte last year and Fernandinho dropping back into yeah. um, centre-half and losing that screen that Pep's team was just too vulnerable. Now, Fernandinho's not really playing, fair enough, but they have got Diaz in. Mike, how much credit do you think Pep deserves for the job he's done in moulding City into like a, a proper defensive team now? Yeah, I think there's definitely a fair amount of credit that he can take for the way that they're playing particularly at the back, their defensive record this season, well, probably since Henry came on the podcast, has been pretty excellent. Yeah, it has. Um, Diaz and Stones have formed a formidable partnership back there. and Well, obviously, Diaz made a, a mistake for the penalty in this game. But other than that, I can't remember. He's been pretty faultless. Yeah, I, I can't remember any other mistakes that he's made. And Stones has turned into... Well, he'll probably walk into the England team for the Euros out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, one guy I would like to mention is is Rodri in midfield because we and others gave him quite a tough time. Uh, probably on those podcasts saying that Pep needs to te- teach his players how to defend. Um, That's because he's a taller Jorginho, or at least he was at the time. <laughs> Fernandinho is not playing, as you rightly say, yeah. Will. And Rodri's doing essentially that job that he what he left that we didn't think he was doing very well, and he's now doing an excellent job in there, mm-hmm. um, which allows the players like Gundogan and Bernardo Silva, Mares, Sterling, Foden, etc., to to thrive going forward. Mm-hmm. But still gives them the solid base mm-hmm. at the back. Dave is like Mike alludes to everyone was a bit harsh on Rodri. Is it? We do have a tendency to be quite harsh on new imports who don't hit the ground running, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I was going to point out with Rodri as well, I think Diaz deserves credit because obviously Stones too, but they've been so solid at the back that Rodri can go about his game without having to worry about having to make up for his Mm. his teammates maybe making mistakes. So in those two being so good... Maybe what we were criticising Rodri for because he was having to try and basically mix and match. Dropping deeper than he would have liked because his centre-backs weren't up to it. Now he can just focus on his game knowing that behind him he doesn't have to worry about them anymore. And I think, obviously, for any player in that role, that's a huge thing. Because yeah. um, if you have to worry about your centre-backs, you're going to start dropping deeper than maybe you would want to or should. And maybe you'll you'll make like decisions where you just desperately try and get to the ball, which you don't really need to do. Um, I think we saw that from Rodri last season, to be honest. Sometimes he was almost running around like a headless chicken because it was like he didn't didn't trust the players behind him to, to get the ball if he didn't. Yeah. Um, times. We talk about 
going back to the idea that Pep's done a really good job on the defence. Let me. So their their back four yesterday were Diask, Stones, Cancelo, and Zinchenko. How many of those four are good defenders? Would you say? One. One. I was that's, say, that's... I've never been sure about Zinchenko, really. <laughs> you see, Zinchenko, I think, is probably the worst. I don't think he's as talented a player as Mendy, but I do think he he understands a role and he just mm-hmm. he just plays it to he just plays it well. Um, but I just think it's quite incredible that although the although they were worth a hell of a lot of money, you would you no one would ever describe Cancelo as perhaps the most defensively versatile fullback in the world. But he's he's having an under the radar season. In terms of creating, he's, he's really just, good season. Well, you watch you watch City sometimes. You just like it's almost like they've got another winger out there. But um, they're just they're just quite a interesting team. The thing I want, the thing I do want to ask you is: last year, obviously, the big problem, Mike, was um, defending counter attacks. We know that because of the schedule and tiredness, sprinting's down this season. But with Diaz in there and. Rodri in there. Do you buy that even next season when we're, we'll see a bit more pressure, do you think they'll still retain some sense of the solidity or do you think they're probably coming to go back to the old city in a way? Have you seen enough to be convinced? Uh, yeah, I think so. They've, okay. they've def- they'll definitely come under more pressure, but I think the, the relationships they can build between Diaz, Rodri, Stones, etc. will stand them in good stead to be better next year, I think than what they were last year, at least, because last year they were so poor in, in transition and counter-attacks. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Um, let's talk about the man of the moment. Um, starting at the starting at false nine for City was Phil Foden. Um, pretty anonymous in the first half, I think yeah. that's fair to say. Um, second half um, takes the shot, which Gundogan hits the rebound from then he set takes full advantage of Allison's mistakes it is worth mentioning that for both of Allison's mistakes the play from first Foden and then silver the composure while chaos is erupting all around you is absolutely superb and then caps off the performance with an absolute rocket um pep a little critical after the game in the first half saying he wasn't there and that it was easier for him to play out wide mike Star-making performance from Phil Foden. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen, we, you've kind of seen glimpses of what he can do. Um, well, we we all know how good he can be. He does it in, in flashes or in spells. This time, it's the second half where he really showed Pep what he can do, and the rest and the rest of the world, I guess, who was watching that second goal. My word, it stayed hit, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it, was, yeah, it did. It wasn't even that far away from Allison's gloves, but he was never stopping that. <laughs> no, no. Um, and yeah, like, like you were saying, he's obviously playing slightly out of position in the false nine. Well, I, I don't know what his position really is, but no. I, I assume that's out of position for him. It, to me, it seems like it should be. Um, and actually did a really good job second half. He's he's brilliant on the ball. He's he so really good. Is. So good. He really is. Um, I'm with Mika Richards. <laughs> it's coming home. We got Phil Foden. Okay, let's <laughs> not get carried away. Um, Dave, I think the uh, the expectation for this season for for Foden was that he would come in and he would play the silver role on the left side of midfield. Um, to me, would I think City might be losing something by not utilising his pace? Because all of a sudden, yeah, Phil Foden seems to be the quickest player in the City squad. Yeah, he is quite quick. Um, I mean, I was just thinking with Foden anyway, why he's maybe been so good this season, is that last whenever he's played before, he's sort of had to be trying to showcase himself in a, a short space of time, basically just to try and start. But this season, I think he knows that he's already got a place that is his to lose in the starting eleven. So I think he's just going out and playing his game more naturally. I, okay. I don't think he's worried about am I going to be starting next game? Like he knows. I think for a young player that is huge. He should be worried. Pep can do whatever he likes whenever he likes. Yeah, but <laughs> you know what I mean. Like I think no, I with Silva's departure, he he knows that he was going to run in the team. 
and he doesn't have to basically try and prove himself in 20, 30 minutes off the bench. So he's just playing what, what's asked of him rather than him trying to have like compilation moments, <laughs> which is what he used to do. Um, I guess it raises, I guess phone's performance almost raises an interesting point about development of youngsters, Mike, because mm-hmm. how many, how many times have we sat around in the pub and argued that Phil phone should be out on loan? Cause it is a, it's a topic of conversation we've had before, but 100%. so you've got, so you've got the one side that city have kept him around um, and they're letting him like learn from Pep, learn from all these players, play around good quality players. And then you've obviously got many other clubs will send people out on loan, which can work. We've seen it with Chelsea with Thibaut Courtois, for example, go out on loan, come back, play for the club. With with Pep being such a, a pu- such a perfectionist and things have to go his way, have we perhaps under have we perhaps been a bit harsh and should have understood that this the best place for Phil Foden was to sit at City with Pep? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I guess our opinions and that of other people might have been swayed by, you know, seeing Sancho leave and go abroad and do so well in Germany, for example. Yeah. And you think that that's the route that everyone should take. But when you think about Pep is, this, is the Man City manager and at the time, Foden, a couple of years ago, Pep was considered the best in the world, may still be the best manager in the world, coach, whatever you want to call him. Um, it's Neil Warnock, by the way. <laughs> it seems like a pretty good place for him to be, particularly surrounded by De Bruyne, David Silva, except we know all the names. And if you're training with them day in, day out, you're bound to get better by doing that, even yeah. if you're not getting as many first team minutes. For some players, it's going to be it's going to be much better to go out and play in League Two or League One. But you'd imagine Foden Foden was too good for that, and he would just get snapped if he went down. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I thought of Foden. <clears throat> Dave, do you think? I mean, obviously, there's benefit to play. There's obviously benefit to players playing senior football. But do you think that? In a way, for too long, the idea, the idea for development has just been, oh, let's send them on loan to the championship. When it or clearly, do you think it's, do you think the championship's a league that doesn't suit everyone, and that some players are never yeah, going to do well? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'd like to add about player development: if you're going to loan a player to the championship, League One or League Two, you really are throwing them at the deep end as a young kid. I would think you only want to loan them out there if you feel they need to toughen up. Like, you know, if someone's playing centre-half, for example, or even like a big man up top, he's going to need some league experience somewhere just to toughen up. Foden's not really ever been that sort of player. And as Mike says, I think literally if he'd gone out on loan, he would have just been snapped. I'm amazed Harvey Elliott hasn't been snapped for the record because I think he... Not saying he's as good as Foden, but it's the same sort of thing. Would you want to risk him getting snapped? I think it really depends on the player and obviously what they're showing in training. I mean, if Foden's come into the first team at this young age and he's training as hard and as good as the other first teamers, you know, and these first teamers are top, top players in their own rights, I don't get why you would loan him out because he's already proving that he could be part of your squad. Like, if you're seeing a good response from him, not only in terms of like his technical ability, but him understanding roles and the tactics. He's already moulding into what you want him to be. Yeah. Don't loan him out to the championship where he's going to get stuck in a four-four-two hoofball because when he comes back, he's <laughs> he playing for Waterdock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he he would need refreshing on his tactics. If you think he's that special, just let him basically learn your tactics and just seamlessly come into the team. Don't let it get disrupted. And I think that's a part of development too. But that development is only afforded to top, top young players. Mm. Mike? It's worth mentioning that obviously lower league loans do work for a lot of people, including like Harry Kane, Deli yeah. Alley, etc. And teams like Man City are getting a lot smarter about where they're going to send their loan players. Yeah. So if they were going to send Foden out, yeah. they're not going to send him to Neil Warnock. In fairness, no, I'm not, I'm not. I know that's not. I know that's not the point you're making. I'm, I just want to make it clear that <laughs> some teams are getting smart. Other teams like Arsenal loan Ainsley Maitland-Niles to West, West Brom, Brom. Yeah. which makes no sense. 
He's got to be playing top level football, mate. That's why. Oh, it's ridiculous. Like, it's going to loan him out to play a style of football we're never going to play. Um, but yeah, for someone like Foden, I think leave him under Pep, get him training with these guys, and you can see the results. It's worked yeah. beautifully. 100% right. Would you look at that? Pep's right, we're wrong. <laughs> Shock. Happened many a time. Still, Pep, come on. <laughs> Coach your players. <laughs> play better in the Champions League, will you? That's a good point. Yeah. Um, just sticking with Foden, um, and allow us some reckless speculation. I think we're all going to get way ahead of ourselves here. But this is prompted by a conversation I was having um, uh, about Grealish and the need to fit a lot of talented players into one England eleven. So I've asked the two of you, who would you play game one of the Euros? Um, Mike, take me through your team. Okay. So I, I met it, there's potential that I've missed some people here, but because I yeah. put this together quite quickly before this, so disclaimer. Yeah, don't shout at me if I if I've missed something. It is yeah. worth well, mentioning. Just, I joined I joined the Skype call and said, "Oh, by the way, lads, I need your teams for the Euros." It's also <laughs> worth noting that I'm doing mine off the cuff. I've not even written anything down. So right, well, here, that's okay. why he's going first. So sit there and yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, sir. So, and then just copy my 11, if you like. No, I, no I've no, thought of it. I'm just saying that I've not even... I know who it's going to be. All right, I've got Pope in goal. Uh-huh. Trent at right back. Stones, what formation? Maguire, Chilwell. 4-2-3-1. Uh, cool, cool. Did that come through? So, tw- Trent, Stones, Maguire, Chilwell. Henderson and Rice, centre mids. Uh-huh. Sterling, Grealish, Foden and Kane up front. Okay, gone for it. Get him in uh, there. Uh, yeah, Nick Pope and goal. There's, there's no other keeper for me. Nick, Nick Pope, the no-brainer for the two of you. Yeah, I, I don't really see anyone else in there. You're not swayed by the ways out. For example, if, if Dean Henderson was playing for Man United or he's at Sheffield United again and he was having another stellar season, I'd probably side with Henderson. But he's not really been in the Man U team, We're and I've. That Pope's having a really good season. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. That's I, that's why he's my pick. Yeah. yeah, but were you not tempted by? What I'm saying is, like, if Henderson was having another really good season, it wouldn't necessarily be a no-brainer. But in this scenario, it's an absolute no-brainer. That's Nick Pope. I guess what I'm trying to talk you into is Jordan Pickford. <laughs> no, well, I'm not picking Pickford. Sorry. <laughs> okay, um, Trent at right back. We've got. Loads of talented right backs. I wanted James, but yeah, yeah I'm. See, this is the thing. I I want to put Reese James, but I'm thinking probably for how you want to play Trent's delivery. You can't waste I'm, it. I'm playing Kyle Walker, but there you are. Oh no! I'm pl- if I'm playing, Ma- do that. If I'm no. playing Maguire, I'm thinking well, it's about not. Co- it's not coming home anymore. You've ruined it. <laughs> okay, okay, ignore me. Um, David, have you got playing centre back? Uh, has to be Stones Maguire, I think. Uh, not really a huge. <laughs> I don't fan like it. I'm not a huge fan of Maguire, but he's been like captain, so I don't know. Don't know who else you'd throw in instead of him, really. Um, as much as I'd like to not put Maguire in the team, I don't don't see anyone else. Stones, obviously, I, how he's played this season, absolutely deserves to be in there. Um, and I think to be fair to Maguire, most of the time he plays for England, he's not. I don't think he's all that bad. Um, apart from when he gets arrested on holiday, um, Ben Chilwell has to be left back. I I think Ben Chilwell's um, fallen off form wise, but I think if you're looking at as opposed to the the right side where we've got absolutely tons of quality right backs, there is no one on yeah. the left side. And, I as mean, good, as good a player he is, I'm not playing Saka at left back. Yeah, I was going to say I can't waste Saka at left back. And as much as James Justin seems good on the left, there's no way he's shaking Chilwell from my left back slot. No, no, Dave, your midfield. Are you, are you playing like Mike two and a number ten, or are you playing three centre mids? Uh, I I was also thinking two and a pivot. Uh, Declan Rice, obviously, I think he's really good. Um, 
He's, this is the thing. It's Henderson, but Mike saying I don't want you to have the same team is trying to make you think for alternatives. To be honest, it's, it's the same first seven, isn't it? Uh, possibly. Pickford looking nicer now, Dave. But it's gonna be it's gonna be different because I think yeah, that's you're gonna have Kane. Oh, if you're gonna have Kane, Kane's absolutely up top. I think you have Grealish in behind. Uh huh. That's what I had too. Sterling on the right, Sancho on the left. Uh, as much as Phil Foden's great, I don't think you can fit Foden and Grealish in the same team. And I think Grealish. Watch me. Watch me. I think I think Grealish. <laughs> he just has to start in this England team. He's he's even played well for England when he's played. Like he definitely deserves to start. Who's your first name on the team sheet? Grealish then. <laughs> no. Who is it? Harry Kane? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd go with Kane. Yeah. I was going to say John Stones, but then I was like, no, I'm chatting up my arse. I say John Stones is the first player that comes as, to mind. Has Grealish, with his, with his season, catapulted him into absolute must-play for England? Do you move other pieces around for him? I think you've got to find a space for him, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't think you see wants to, but I think I he's going to have to. I would play... I would suggest Grealish on the left and Foden in the middle, but I just have always felt Grealish maybe isn't quite quick enough to, to go on the wing. I, I, thought, I, I, thought that, I thought that before last season, but it is it before this season. He seems rapid this season. I don't, know if every, I don't know if everyone else is tired all the time, but Grealish seems quick this year, I've felt. It, it is interesting that you are going to need a lot of pace around Harry Kane in particular. Yeah. Um, but two very interesting teams. It'll be interesting to see what Southgate does go for. Um, if you want to let us know your England team, please do by get contacting us on all the socials at In and Around Pod. Wow. Just emailing us in and around pod at gmail.com. I'm sure Southgate himself will uh, reply with Pickford 1 and then 10 empty spaces. And I will uh, reply back with a, a link to the Blue Harbour MS collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move away from the summer and let's uh, talk about. Um, the other team involved in this game, Liverpool. We mentioned earlier um, talking about Liverpool's excuses. Dave, Roy Keane accused them of being bad champions in some of their actions and some of their yeah. some of their excuses they were giving. Do you think that the excuses are justified or do you think they've been a bit overblown now? Um, yeah, I, I feel they are overblown at this point. Some of them are justified in their reason. But to basically just act like you always got some sort of handicap is it's not exactly a good mentality to have. As in, as absolutely no denying they've been absolutely riddled of injuries this season. But if they're thinking, oh, you know, if if we don't play that well, we've got oh we've got loads of injuries as a, a backup, as an excuse. What's the point? I mean. Some of the stuff he comes out with about wind and cold feet, I just, I feel like Klopp's as much as a stand-up comedian as a, a manager at this point. There's no way he believes this stuff. There's just no way. Um, I mean, more touching on Keane's comments, I really agree with him that they're bad champions because whenever Liverpool have won anything, it's... It's felt like look at what we've done, not a look, not look what we're going to do. It's like we won the league, but never seen any emphasis on being champions again. I, I've felt. No, you're right. I think that's there. Um, Brez, in terms of for you, the excuse has been justified or overblown. The- it is a hell of an injury crisis to lose your two starting centre-backs and then to lose a third one. The injury's one I'm fine with, by the way. I think that's okay. fair enough. They've they've really lost some big, big, big pieces that you do... Well, in this climate, they just haven't been able to replace. I mean, they're bringing in Preston defenders, for God's sake. That's, that's where they are right now. Um, as far as City had a break because of COVID and so they're fresher... Just get, just get gone, Clark. You're a joke, mate. So, so that's what I want to. That's what I want to get to. I want to ask the question: Is that is this just protecting your players, or is there some elements of being like real bad sportsmanship here? Because 
even in their losses, in their losses, I don't. I, to me, Klopp has felt petulant at times, and I understand the the pressure they're under. But comments like the two week COVID break is is unnecessary, and I think it's belittling the the serious nature of the matter. But I just wanted I wanted your take. Do you think this is this is just is it bad sportsmanship? Is in essence? Yeah, I actually think it's it, it's it's every time he loses a game, it's never it's never the other team were good or. Which you can come out and say if the other team were better than you. Well, yeah. Pep does. Pep Fire does that. Your players. Yeah, Pep, Pep do that. does that. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't. I don't know what the his argument with Dyche was about. I didn't. I, I didn't really enjoy that much. No. I enjoyed Dyche because he fucking sparking. But <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. That's reminded me of the best thing I've heard all week. I mean, this is a tangent. We'll get back to it. So, Villa are playing. Villa. Villa are playing oh, Birdley. Nice. Villa are playing Birdley. And um, I love this guy. John, John McGinn goes in on the John McGinn apparently is a bit of a hard tackle on one of the Birdie players, and Dyche is mouthing off. And John McGinn turns around, tells him to shut up, and <laughs> and, uh, and then Sean Dyche goes, "Oh, you think you can talk back? You're a Billy Big Bollocks because you've been in the uh, for a you've been in the league for a year." And he goes, <laughs> John McGinn turns around and goes, "You've been in the you've been in the uh, the league for six years, and you've still got that same shit." Oh, you daft prick. <laughs> yeah, it's Doctor. Oh, that's my absolute favourite thing I've heard about Burnley. So good. Well, I love John McGinn. Um, he's hero of the week. He's, he's not done anything. It's just I heard that this week. Anyway, Mark, I interrupted you about the proud sportsmanship. Yeah, I think just because it happens after every single loss, there's never any... I've forgotten the word, but I guess it is kind of sportsmanship and like just realising that sometimes you get beaten by the better team or you, your team didn't turn up on the day. I'm all for backing your players and shielding them. And Fergie used to come up with all sorts of rubbish to, to yeah. do that. Mourinho, the same. Um, I, but they're starting to get... Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I didn't have a problem with the cold feet one because I'm like, look, we all know Alisson had a shocker. But, and it, it doesn't help you if your manager comes on and piles on in the pros post-match conference you just come up with some waffle it's just the, he's just it, the thing that always gets me is I'm like I'm like to, Premier League footballers you get 11 fantastic footballers who are well coached every week unless you're playing West Brom and um, so sometimes you just got to come out and be like they're better they just were better than us today because they just are better than us and I just think that with Liverpool this, this carnation of City is better than this this current Liverpool team yeah, that, that's just the truth. So yeah. you lose four one, but he could, he just never will. He will never do it. He won't. It's not in his his no. DNA, is it? No. I also don't like with Klopp that he he's at this point just hostile towards journalists. I don't get what he's gaining out of frankly being a massive balland to he, people that are trying to do their job. He, he corrected a journalist about something about thirteen points being thirteen points behind. And it was actually, and the journalist was like, the journalist 10, was right. and it was actually ten. And you're like, Come yeah, on. because Klopp, Klopp's basically saying Man City are gonna win their game in hand, so it's thirteen points. And the journalist was like, no, it's ten because they still haven't got the points from that yeah. that game in hand. And he's he's like, oh, you had two questions and you wasted one like this, like trying to mug him off. I'm like, pack it in, Jurgen. Yeah, now, Klopp would be Wazak of the Week. And in fact, we'll give him joint Wazak of the Week, along with Jose Mourinho, who when asked by a journalist midweek about why he didn't play Bale, she, he said to her, that's a good question, but I'm not going to answer it. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. like, what a bellend. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Um, want to return to something you said, Dave, about going up to Roy Keane's comments about mentality. Mm-hmm. Liverpool were described by Klopp himself, I think it was 2019, as mentality monsters. And you yeah. which is which is a great buzzwordy Bellend. wanky yeah. quote. But they are, in essence, aren't they? Because came back how many teams lose a Champions League final like that and go right back the next year? How many teams get that close to winning a league title and are right back with the same level of performance the same year? Even but, better. Exactly. Yeah. But like you say, Dave, there was this sense as soon as they won the title that it was a big relief off their shoulders, but there was no hunger to go again like Roy Keane's. Yeah, it was It was like, that was it. We've done what we came here to to achieve. And there was nothing really striking of, let's go and do that again, or 
this is our top now. We're we're at the perch of the league. Never never felt like that. Yeah. But was... this this isn't just kept to Liverpool, is it? Because you look at the past. Let's take the past decade for example. United twenty thirteen win the league seventh under Moyes in twenty fourteen. Chelsea win the league under Mourinho in twenty fifteen tenth the following year. Yeah. Win it win the Conte fifth the following year. Take Leicester, although it's not really fair. They were twelfth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. City to their credit have been second in every year after they won the title and did have a back-to-back but even yeah. so in all those years where they failed to regain it I think 13, 15 and last year way off the pace Mike yeah. they always say that retaining the title is really hard but do you think that do you think there's a difference now compared to footballers in like Mourinho and Fergie where we saw them regularly retain titles do you think there's a, a difference in football now in terms of mentality? There does seem to be a little bit it's <clears throat> It's definitely, I mean, it's hard enough to win one, let alone go back-to-back. Obviously, you've just outlined how difficult it is for teams to go back-to-back. I do think footballers of today, they're, they're happy enough just winning the... Just If they've won a Champions League, Liverpool now, they they flopped uh, that last year and then they've won the, cha- the, uh, the league, obviously. They're trying to defend it and they're nowhere near, really. Um... I don't really know what it is. I guess it's it's kind of hard to motivate yourself once you've reached your your big big goal. Mm. It must be difficult, but mm-hmm. surely that was the same back in two thousand and four or wh- whatever. Yeah. Whatever we're saying, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe there's so much money flying about that they're just, just like, well, we'll still rake it in this year and maybe we'll go again <laughs> next year. I don't, I don't yeah. know. It's it's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Really, the concept of that. It's so many people don't go back to back in sports, but it is wild that we've had, other than City, no team had gone back to back since that United team had. And think of some of the quality teams we've had in the league, Dave. Yeah, I think that I don't know. It, it's hard to say because obviously we were a lot younger back then. But with Ferguson's United teams, for example, it felt like they were at the top. And no one could really get near them. I think teams. I think teams that finish second, especially, feel that next season they can go out and and basically do over the champions. I don't think any team comes across as being untouchable anymore, and that is partially down to transfers. If mm. you're just off, if you're one of these big teams, for example, Man City, obviously, not really in this COVID climate. If you're missing one piece of the puzzle, you can go out and buy it. And that could be all you need to go and win the league. Obviously, winning the Premier League is huge. But I don't think any team out there can really stop if like a very big bid comes in for a player. Yeah. I think the climate is more... If you're the champions, people want to beat you more. No one's scared of you anymore. And I think back back before, teams used to be scared of these Ferguson Uniteds or... Yeah, I don't get that. I don't get that feeling that they're scared that it, they want to go out and attack them. It's interesting you say that. You say that about being untouchable because Pep City to me did feel untouchable. But Mike, you wanted to jump in there. Yeah, I was just going to say. Obviously, um, when you play the champions of the season after they they win the league, that's your that's one of your big games of the season. Like Burnley yeah. and Burnley and West Brom going to Anfield and doing what they did. Um, particularly Burnley getting a one 0 win, West Brom drew one one. They're they're fight they're fighting for their lives to get something out of the game against Still the champions. Fat, it's title. <laughs> Sorry, they're just fighting. For, in West Brom's case, they're just fighting for a point. But <laughs> but <laughs> it is like West in the league. It is a cliche, and Dave kind of said it as well. But you, when you come up against the, the top team from last year, you you want to go and send a message to everyone else that you can get something out of that game. Yeah, you, I guess you raise your level a little. So it is hard to go back to back. It is really hard. Yeah. So, so we talking about Liverpool's success. So let's just we talk about teams and Ferguson used to say it, Mourinho used to say it, and Pep said it. Th- talk about teams in three year cycles. Mm-hmm. So and they come to an end of a cycle, and then you need to invest. You need to get new players so you can you stop it from being the same old, and you keep it fresh and interesting on a mental level yeah. for the players. Um. 
I guess the question I want to ask is, so I, I looked up earlier and it's a £7 million net spend for Liverpool since they won the Champions League. Um, they say you have to invest while you're on top. Do you think that Klopp, in essence, has been let down in a bit, let down a bit by the investment from the board at Liverpool? Yes. Okay. Is my short answer. I, I think so. However, obviously, it's hard to discuss in this climate, isn't it? Like you can't, you can't say he's been let down when most clubs are in the same situation and football as a whole is in the situation that. There's not really that much money to throw around compared to what we've seen in the last, say, 10 years. True, but if, let's talk pre-pandemic for a second. Let's think about that that season after they've won the yeah. Champions League. Okay. My thing with Liverpool is it's always felt like their owners wanted to build like a great starting eleven, but never a great squad. And it's okay. really come back to, to haunt them. Whereas, for example, Man City have bought God knows how many players... I, you know, players like Mendy, for example, who's pretty much a bench player these days in rotation, he cost a lot of money. Liverpool's owners were happy to put out big money for, you know, like your Sane, Sane, fuck me, Marley and Salah. <laughs> I want, I had them both on my mind. Like Marley, oh. <laughs> Marley and Salah, and then obviously. They, they, it's also <laughs> worth noting they've had some big transfers go wrong. Naby Keita cost a lot of money, and frankly, yeah. I've not ever seen that much. Um, I think even Lovren actually cost quite a lot of money when he came in. Um, but it's always felt like, obviously, they, they bought Van Dijk, Allison. Obviously, great signings. Not, not saying they're not, because they've been absolutely fantastic. But once they've had those settled players and a team good enough to go out and do whatever, they don't really care about the rest of the squad. And it's always felt like that for me, mm-hmm. for that team. So it was interesting that you went into this summer and what you, th- what you thought to yourself, if, if you're Liverpool, you need some cover for that front three. Yeah. And they did that by bringing Diego Jota, who was, was better than I think any of us thought yeah. he could possibly be, even though we all liked him as a player. They got mm-hmm. cover for Andy Robertson, Simicass. Um, I've not seen a lot of him, but that's because Robbo's such a unbelievably. I is not only is he a brilliant player, but he has the fitness levels of j- just an Iron Man. It's incredible. He never misses a game. Ever. It's incredible yeah. what Andy Robertson does. He never stops running either. Incredible. He's always going. And then always. the other, the other one is Thiago, who although he's a wonderfully talented player, he was 30 million, he's 29. It, it just doesn't fit the profile of a Liverpool signing in the last couple no. of years. Because you think about Liverpool signings, like you look at the, what they did in, you look at what they did in 20, like 2017, 2015, 2017. They bought players in early to mid 20s who were going to hit the peak at the same time. You for Firmino's, you Fabinho's, Robertson, you Van Dyke's, you Allison, etc., etc. And then you go out and you buy a player, Thiago, at 29, who already you sort of look at and you think to yourself, is he going to get run around a bit in the Premier League? Probably, he'll probably be fine because that's the quality of the player he is. But he's, it's only a downward slope from here, really. So it is a bit of a weird one that, in some sense, they were backed. But yeah, it's interesting that you you think Liverpool have been the smartest team in the Prem as far as what you just exactly what you just said, Will, about them building for this kind of window where their yeah. team's going to be good. But now they're coming to the end of the window, and you, their their window of being good. I mean, sorry, um, Wijnaldum's leaving on a free, I think, in the summer. Yep. Salah, Firmino, Mane are all twenty nine. And you're going to have to, you, you're going to have to get rid of one of them at some point. They can't all just get to 35 together. Yeah. They just can't. Yeah. So, so let's let's move on to that next point then, because you look at Liverpool's long-term planning, mm-hmm. and they've got an aging squad. I looked earlier, and I'm thinking, I looked, I was like, well, Diego Jota, 24, is going to be uh, going to be involved in whatever the next incarnation of Liverpool is, and you would assume the same for. Gomez and Trent are going to be pillars and then you've got um, Curtis Jones in midfield is probably going to be a pillar. But the rest of them are looking like... Uh, Alisson's of... 28, so I'd say Alisson. Alisson. Goalkeepers along for... Uh, he's going to be around for a long time. Yeah. So, But you are looking at a major squad rebuild. Mm-hmm. So, and we, as you've already alluded to, Dave, fees are going to be severely compressed because of COVID. Yeah. Um, what do you see Liverpool doing this summer? 
I think, if I'm honest, it totally comes down to if someone makes a huge bid for one of their... I say one of their front three, it's not going to be Firmino. If someone makes a big bid for Salah or Mane, um, because I think the fact that Liverpool won the Champions League in normal times and they didn't go out and spend a lot of money says a lot about the owner's sort of model for them anyway. Obviously, they've been constricted by COVID, having won the league, even though you'd think, like, yeah, they've got loads of prize money, etc., etc. Didn't really go out and spend either. They only spent what they received. I I can't see them throwing the throwing the kitchen sink at it. I, no. They may they may offer some money, but not a lot of money for this climate. And I think it really will come down to if a huge bid comes in for Salah or Mane. I, I don't think they have the money to be having this huge overhaul. Not of quality players anyway. Mm-hmm. Mike, you're when Dave said big money bid for Salah Romano, you were shaking your head. Why were you shaking your head? Well, the, the problem is, so Salah's been linked with Madrid for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying Madrid, I think Madrid, it comes in, but No, way. no, no. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's part of the problem is that, thanks to COVID, the two big Spanish clubs, Barca and Madrid, have no money to spend. Yeah. Thanks, thanks to COVID. Not in Barcelona's well, case. Yeah. Yeah, not in Barcelona's That's case. Spending half a million on Leo Messi's contract is the reason you've got no money, you crazy fuckers. <laughs> They've got no money. Oh if if Messi goes to PSG, PSG aren't going to be spending big on Salah or Mane or whoever. And then you're left with Juventus who've got Ronaldo, so they're not going to be either. Realistically, from my personal point of view, you'd... You, the only transfer that makes makes sense, and even then I'm not convinced, is Salah to Salah to Madrid, both for a marketing reason, but also for a fit reason. And you've got two players who would, I, th- I can see a nice fit between Hazard, Benzema, and Salah. Although that leaves questions to live, that leaves questions for Madrid about a, from a squad building front of view, and that you've got aging stars there as well. Mm-hmm. But. I can't that, see that's it. the other even if Madrid had the money I don't think this is the signing they they're making right now though they they they're going towards younger players as well they don't want to buy an, a 29 30 year old I mean even if he sells a few shirts which he may well do but Dave the only thing I can think of of Real Madrid is it looks like they're going to be way off the pace of Atletico this season yeah they still have young players like Vinicius who who could be very very good even Rodrigo's not awful, who could be long-term, especially Vinicius, long-term in those positions. They're, they're probably going to finish way off the pace. Maybe they allow Zidane to buy one player in their prime now, and Salah, as maybe, Will says, I think could work. They, maybe they sack Zidane. Yeah, maybe they do. Probably what's going to happen, I think. Um, um, interestingly enough, I think you've raised it, hit a good point there, Dave, isn't it? It's not just that they're way off the pace, they're way off the pace to Atletico Madrid, their hated rivals, rivals. Yeah. Um, which well, I think is... Barca are big rivals, but you know no, what I mean. You know what I mean, cross city, yeah. hated, yeah, um, yeah. which I think is an interesting point. Brez? Yeah, I just wanted to point out, as, as far as Liverpool go with the £7 million net spend, etc., they are owned by Americans who buy these, buy football clubs expecting to make a profit. Yeah. <laughs> No, Sorry, it, I could just see a yellow and green scarf in the background of Mike's room all of a sudden. There I mean, is one somewhere. I don't know where it is, but there is one. It's true, though. It is true. You're right. You're right. I quickly like to point out, I find it weird that people think that anyone is going to buy a business of such value and be happy to lose money from it. I don't get why people think they won't try and manage it like they would a business. But anyway, that's a different point. Well, I mean, uh, I'm not going to get into it again, but with this, no, there's always the always the argument of investing. Like we, I can't remember when it was. The Saudis we... didn't want to buy Newcastle to make a profit. No, the Saudis wanted to buy Newcastle because it's. I'm going to stop there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. It's exactly the, if you're wondering what I was going to say, it's exactly the same reason that um, PSG are owned and City are owned for City, yeah. and also to a lesser extent. Shells. Um. Anyway, so not a quick fix for Liverpool, is it? So I think it's a good. It was quite interesting that these two teams played each other because Klopp, because you've got 
Klopp on one side is practically exactly where Pep was last year. However, the advantage for Pep is, well, firstly, he's just, I think personally, I think he's 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 a he's a more adaptable coach. I can see, I can feel. I, I would always think that I would always think that Pep is Pep is more likely to evolve in place of it weird than Klopp to get it sort of out the system. And you could just you could see the evolution and I'm not saying that Klopp won't have the evolution but for me I always looked at City and I'm like well combining Pep's adaptability with the um with the money they have I I think it was obviously always going to be an easier way out of it whereas for Liverpool it does very much feel like they're going to probably continue to be very very good for two years but the future Dave is pretty uncertain yeah it's it's also worth noting that they've had young players come through no, it's not the B word, Will. Don't worry. Um, Rian Brewster! He looked like they could maybe have been something good. I remember Ben Woodburn at one point looking like he was going to be really, really good at like 16, 17. And he's probably like a League One standard player now. I don't know what's really gone on there. So that was one player. Progression's not linear, though. So No, but still, like in terms of looking to the future, the only top youngster I really see is maybe Harvey Elliott. Mm-hmm. Obviously, other than Curtis Jones, I'm talking about players not already in the starting eleven or not in the squad even. Neko Williams, I thought looked good, but when he's played this season, not so much. Let's be honest. If you're getting if you're getting two first teams in like let's say Jones and Trent out of your academy, your academy's done. Oh, it's it's good, but I mean, in terms of in general, I don't really see. You know, we named a few players at the start like Trent Jones. Alison Gomez, uh, Jota. There's not really anyone else around other than maybe Harvey Elliott to come back from loan. Like there's still way loads of players short. If if that makes sense for who's going to fill those other positions in your eleven? Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly an interesting. Um, It'll be another thirty years before they win the title again. They will do another thirty years. Um, Dave, have you got a start of the week for me? Because I've got actually, one. You don't have one. I actually. Do but I need I need Mike's intro because otherwise it doesn't function. It's David's stat of the week. Okay, I'll start of the week. It's uh, it's it's very on brand. It's it's J five. Fuck. Jorginho. Nine of his eleven Premier League goals have come from the penalty spot, which is eighty two percent of his goals. It's the highest ratio of any player with ten plus goals in the history of the Premier League. He is, a, he is an oh, absolute pen merchant. Off to Joe finish there, specialist. I didn't want to uh, say it, Will, because I knew it would annoy you because he missed a few times. But... Yeah, I've, got, I've, got two stat, I've got two stats of the week for you now. The first one is 0%. That's the amount of duels Jorginho has won in his Chelsea career. <laughs> and the second one, which I was about to say, if you didn't have one, is um, one. And that's the uh, amount of Premier Leagues that um, John Henderson has more than Steven Gerrard. You top <laughs> <laughs> oh god because you know so we're gonna we're gonna title this we're gonna title this with like liverpool in the title and we, you know you might get a few like random liverpool fans clicking on it and all i just want to let you know is gerard was shit and he lost you a title mike the joel Linton report please <laughs> oh my yeah joel Linton uh came off the bench for newcastle pretty much turned the game around to be honest there were <laughs> go on uh, no, but uh, he came on in a 3-2 win over Southampton, which is a huge result for, for Newcastle. I'm not really sure that Joel Linton actually did much, but uh, won seven aerial duels, apparently. So that's good. Wow, that's that's quite impressive. Uh, do you want to know his past success rate for the game? Yeah, I do, actually. Yeah. I'm quite worried how low that could be. Yeah, not good. 43%. Oh! <laughs> so maybe he needs a new trim. Uh, quite possibly just don't post it on Instagram this time Dave if the people want to follow you where can they follow you for more takes about why you're um, not a fan of Eddie Howe or Graham Potter or any of your other are you allowed on Twitter now I thought you got kicked off after the Capital riots uh, no I'm, I'm still on there well um, a burner account it's yeah. at Donald Trump Jr <laughs> okay alright there we are yeah. but no seriously if you want to follow Dave just take your uh, headphones and plug them into it um, Mike, if the people want to follow you for um, more Joel Linton updates, where can they do so? Uh, Mikey Breslin on Twitter. 
And you can follow me at Hunt 17 for all your Jorginho slander. But please don't. Please instead follow us at In and Around Pod on all the socials, including Vimeo. Um, Mike, it's time for that update. How are you and Henry Hodgson getting on on the backing podcast? Yeah, not our, not our finest week, to be fair. <laughs> the nearly <laughs> good weeks. Uh, yeah, oh, that's not good. kind, Will. Last week was good. <laughs> Uh, six yeah. from eight this week two from eight between us one one out of four for each of us so not great well, well at least Hodgson's not had a donut again so. it wasn't a donut for either of us so that's that's good no that that's ladies and gentlemen we were flawless in league two so that's nice oh great um, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to listen to the betting podcast, it's on this feed every Friday, but you can listen to it on Friday because it's a nice preview of the weekend in some cases but all you can do what I do which is leave it till Monday and then listen to how much the pain in your head you can think Henry Hodgson's in for when he's lost all his money um, that's what I do um, if you want to read this week's things we noticed from the football leagues they are it's a bit different this week um, you can do so at inandaroundmedia.com that'll be up by the time this podcast is up or well, just after well just after probably probably in the evening whenever whenever it's done <laughs> Uh, tomorrow evening. Tomorrow evening. Days, days at the wheel, so it might be next week. Whoa, 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 whoa. Tomorrow evening. Okay. Um, but that will do it for this week. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Cheers. Cheers.